So let me me pray and we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for all that you give to us and the, the wonderful adventures we have with you, whether it's overseas or it's right here, Lord God. And we're always on an adventure with you, and we love you. Now write your word on our hearts, please. Amen. The scripture we're going to work on today is Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 33. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things they possessed were their own. But they had all, all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, to get ready to get into that scripture, I want to take you into a couple other scriptures. You won't see them, but if you have your Bible with you, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Anytime I say that, though, it doesn't mean I'm going to give you all the time to turn to it, but it's okay. You know where I'm going. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, It says this, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Isn't that wild that Paul would write that saying, we know that you're chosen because the gospel not only came with words, but it came with demonstrations of power from God. Or you can go to Acts chapter 11, verses 21 and 20, 22 and 23. And, and if you want to turn there, great. This passage says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. You got to love it when Barnabas has to go do something because you all know that that's not actually his name. That's a name the church gave him, meaning son of encouragement, right? I mean, he's fantastic. Every time Barnabas is up, you got to pay attention in scriptures. When Barnabas is doing something, It's always fantastic. He's the one who will actually introduce Paul to the apostles. He'll put his name on the line saying, you need to meet this guy. He will then begin to take Paul on ministry trips after the Spirit of God calls them. And if you read the book of Acts, you know that Barnabas leads, because at first it says Barnabas and Saul. Eventually it'll turn into Paul and Barnabas, which means that he's going to give the leadership over to Paul as an apostle. But just every time I see Barnabas, I'm like, oh, Barnabas is so cool. I mean, really, have you ever had one of those discussions you're sitting around to? And if you could go back in history and, or in time and meet somebody, honestly, Barnabas is one of those guys you just want to go meet because you're like, hey, if the whole church gives him the name Son of Encouragement, you know this guy's awesome. I mean, God just does great stuff with him. So they send off Barnabas as far as Antioch, because the Lord, the hand of the Lord is with them. Anytime you see in Scripture that the hand of the Lord is with them, it means that God is using power through his believers. Again, the hand of the Lord are the things the Lord does. And you make a distinction in Scripture between the hand of the Lord and God's face. And many times we begin a relationship with God because of things he does with his hand. But eventually, if you pay enough attention to his hand, he's got a finger going like this, going, face, I'm up here, I'm right here. Look into my face and see that I love you. 
And so we, we do grow like this, right? So Barnabas goes, and it says in the passage, when he came and he had seen the grace of God. And first time I read that, I thought, how do you see the grace of God? I thought it's like something invisible. But he saw the grace of God, and evidently grace can be seen. Grace can also be measured. Let me take you back to today's passage. Going to Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And what is great grace? I mean, isn't it just there's grace or there's no grace? Right? You know. Saved by grace. Grace is that thing that saved me. Salvation by grace through faith. The great line of the Reformation. Uh, once saved, always saved by grace. With that, I, I have to read something to you. Right now you should be praying. It says this, After 20 years of shaving himself every morning, a man in a small southern town decided he had had enough. He told his wife that he intended to let the local barber shave him each day. He put on his hat and coat and went to the barbershop, which was owned by the pastor of the town's Presbyterian church. The barber's wife, Grace, was working that day, so she performed the task. Grace shaved him and sprayed him with lilac water and said that would be $50. The man thought the price was a bit high, but he paid the bill and went to work. The next morning, the man looked in the mirror, and his face was as smooth, smooth as it had been when he left the barbershop the day before. Not bad, he thought. Yeah, y'all heard this one? Okay, good. You'd let me know, right? Okay. Not bad, he thought. At least I don't need to get a shave every day. The next morning, the man's face was still smooth. Two weeks later, the man was still unable to find any trace of whiskers on his face. It was more than he could take, so he returned to the barber shop. He said, I thought $50 was high for a shave, he told the barber's wife. But you must have done a great job. It's been two weeks. My whiskers still haven't started growing back. The expression on her face didn't even change, expecting his comment. She responded, you were shaved by grace. Once shaved, always shaved. Right? I'm falling down. I'm yelling timber. So, <laughs> come on, you liked it. I heard all the ahs, but you know, you, you have to admit, you liked it. <laughs> You'll tell it to somebody. So, you over it yet? Because I got to preach a sermon here. Okay, good. So, I've given you my gr definition of grace in the past, in which for me, grace is the empowering of God in our lives. Uh, we, and we get some things from grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says we get, we get saved by grace. That's also Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But we get saved. It's the testimony of Christ in our lives that the gifts are not ending according to 1 Corinthians. That's by grace. That we have perseverance to the end. That's by grace. So I want to present to you for your consideration that grace can be measured. It's just like faith. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, assuredly I say to you, 
I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Verses Matthew 8, 26. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so even with faith, and we'll get into this sometime in a sermon, there's measurements of faith. There's great faith and there's little faith, and that little really does mean small measurement of faith. You might say, hey, I've got faith, and maybe you have to be like the guy who tells Jesus, hey, I've got faith, just help my unbelief, right? It's okay to be honest before the living God. You don't have to put on a show because you can't prove anything to him anyway. He's omniscient. So if you've ever thought you could tell God something and he's going to believe it, he already knows. So, you know, just like I love it with Jack Deere when he says, you know, when an omniscient God asks you a question, he's never looking for the answer. <laughs> it's for you. The answer is for you. So things get measured in Scripture a lot. Daniel, remember handwriting on the wall, many, many tekel ufarsin. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you found wanting, it's over. You get... The river of God in Ezekiel, right? Remember Ezekiel with the angel? Met first, they go into the river and the first measurement's ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, and then all the way in. But all along, the, the angel is measuring as they go. And it's about being in, the, the river, of course, comes from the throne of God. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, you can be ankle deep in the Spirit of God and go, oh, this is great, whoa, you know, and have a great time. And, and it's fantastic. But eventually the Holy Spirit says, let's go knee deep. And eventually he says, do you want to go swimming? And some people say no. <laughs> I don't know. And sometimes the Spirit of God just pushes you into the deep end, right? Here, try this. And then you go. It's, it's a lot of fun. But even, even so, Matthew 7, 2, a kingdom principle, as Jesus said, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The next time that the Spirit of God is pointing out your sin to you, uh, which he knows, and he's not ever doing it to make fun or to make you feel bad. I believe that one of the reasons why the Spirit of God may point out your sin to you is it comes with a word, forgive. I forgave you, forgive. Remember your sin? Forgive. You have other people you want to hold something against? I have not, I'm not holding anything against you. You know, like David says, my sin is ever before me. I can, I can think of all of it. So again, the measurement you give. Measurements happen quite often in Scripture. And so this is why I think grace can be measured. The verse said, great grace was upon them all. And that's in the New King James, and it's probably the most accurate on this. You may have another version. The New International does not say grace. I think it says the grace of God was with them. But there's a word here that's in the Greek. It's megas. And magus means great. If dealing with size, it is large. If you're measuring it, it's long. If it's age, it's old. If it's number, it's abundant. Intensity, it is violent and strong. And that's where magus takes us to, this Greek word meaning great. From magus, we get the following words. You know, uh, if you've ever seen my, my big fat Greek wedding, you know, remember Mr. Portocollis, you give me any word and I'll tell you the Greek origin, right? So let's do a little bit of that. Uh, for megas, we get the following words. Megabyte, for all of you into computers. One million bytes of information. Megahertz, for radio fans. Radio frequency equal to one mil hertz. Megaphone, a device to amplify your voice. Megastar, very famous star. 
megalith is a massive stone used for building. Those of you who have ever been in Israel, gone to Jerusalem, gone down through the tunnel at the base of, of the Temple Mount and seen the megaliths, the massive stones that literally are like the length of all this wood together and, and higher, and you think, how in the world did they put that there? You get megaton, explo- explosion equal to one mil tons of TNT. And I use these words but let's, let's take this last one, put it in context, megaton. I was reading about, and I'm hoping it's true because it was online. You, you always have to ask that question now, right? You just hope they're actually telling you the truth. The, the Tsar Bomba, the largest atomic test in world history, it said that it was 50 megatons. That's 1,000 570 times more powerful than the two bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in one bomb. It also claimed 10 times more powerful than all the ordnance used in World War II. Grab all the bombs and everything else and add them all together, and it's still 10 times, that that Tsar Bomba was 10 times more powerful than all the bombs dropped in World War II. megatons, and we get the word megas in the Greek. So now we're looking for mega grace. Most of us are just fine with a touch of grace from God, right? But you don't want to know that God can give you mega grace and get through really hard times. Do you want to know that? Do you want to know that God can put mega grace inside your heart? And you can walk through really difficult times. You can you can face mountains and mega grace can hit. Don't you want to see God use mega grace in this church to minister to people? I mean, we, we need to get past being okay with some grace and desire greater amounts of grace. I think of some of the great revivals. You know, I know some of you are praying for revivals, but I want you to be praying for mega grace. When you pray for revival, Lord, let mega grace fall because there were things that have happened in revivals. If you've done your homework, you know that there are some amazing things. You think about the first great awakening. First great awakening. It lasted through the 1730s and 1740s. It was that big of a revival. I mean, we hear about revivals now. You know, we hear about the one going on Tennessee. There was one in Florida like that at a radio station. You can get down down to Argentina when the fire of God fell in Argentina and literally thousands or accepting Christ. I remember being at Fuller and an Argentine pastor spoke there and said, I, I'm here speaking because I'm looking. Does anybody want to come down? I, I started a church. There was like 20 people in it. And all of a sudden there's 20,000 people in my church and I don't know what to do. <laughs> if I could speak Spanish, I could help you. But, you know, God's awesome. I just all of a sudden, boom, you know, megaton church on your hands. God does a big explosion. You go back to the Great Awakening. You have George Whitfield preaching through the colonies, right? And he's preaching. Some churches didn't even like the guy, but he shows up. And if you do the studies in church history, they, they taught us that when he was preaching, he didn't need a megaphone. That, that Ben Franklin went because he liked to hear the guy preach. And it, it, that one time Whitfield's preaching on the steps of the city hall and he can hear him, and he realizes there's probably, I don't know, three or 5,000 people standing there listening to him. And then his scientific brain hits, and he thinks, I wonder how many people could actually hear George Whitfield right now. So he takes a step back and counts how many people could fit, and just kept going back until 
this, the sounds of the city drowned out George Whitfield. He figured that 10,000 people could have stood there and heard. No one can speak like that. That's the grace of God. You get Jonathan Edwards, you know, the, the, the president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He's considered the father of American theology, right? And if, if you've ever studied him during that same time, he's preaching and I mean, grown men, they say that the knuckles are turning white because they feel the compulsion to go forward except Christ and are holding on to the pews trying not to go forward. But they can feel the compulsion and the drawing of the Holy Spirit. The whole time this guy is preaching the same sermon. Every meeting he's preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God. And they say he's the most bland preacher you could ever hear. Monotone, bland, and the Spirit of God is just moving like crazy. That's when you know it's the Spirit of God. Because God didn't go, oh, who's the best preacher I've got? I've got to have the best preaching, and I should find the best music, and I should find the best room, and I should find... No, God didn't care. It's what God's doing. Mega grace, brothers and sisters. It's mega grace when God moves. They, they said that Jonathan Edwards later was thankful because he said that the, the revival started on one day. He did, it didn't, like, taper in. It, like... It started, and then one day it ended, and they didn't see people accepting Christ. And he was like, yes, this is God. This is so cool. It's God. You can tell it's God. And he was, they said he was excited. So these type of things, when God is moving and doing his thing. So an application, what is the key to great grace? I want to go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of their, the things that they possessed were their own. They had all things in common. So the very first thing that I see in this passage towards mega grace is the unity of the body. That we are one. We are KPC. I'm not just a, a person who happens to work here at KPC. I am part of KPC. I am one of you. We together are KPC. We together are the body of Christ. We together follow Jesus Christ. I mean, if you go to Ephesians, when, when Paul is writing, he's saying that we, that God's given the fivefold office, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, till what? Till we grow to the unity of the faith. Are we there yet? Nope. So I'm just telling you, I know we're not there yet. I mean, shoot, look in the, look in the phone book or online and see how many different denominations. We don't, we aren't just one, but we head that way and we say unity is important to us. And as a member here at KPC, we say, it is so important for me to be one with my brothers and my sisters here at church. Not just I attend and I decide if I like it or not. I am one with my brothers and sisters here at this church. That is A number one. Don't worry about the whole possession things was, it wasn't that they stopped owning things. They didn't stop owning homes. You can go to, to, to Israel and see Peter's, the outline of Peter's house. Peter didn't stop owning a house. That's not the point. The point was, though, that when we're together, if we have need, we solve it. So I, I'll take you back to Psalm 133, which I began with when I got here. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. The beauty of the unity of the brothers and the sisters, the sisters and the brothers. We come together. We're one before the living God. 
Second, in order to get there, is what I've been preaching to you from the beginning. Humility. Humility is being humble before God and humble with each other. I have to tell you, I was so thankful this morning. We, you know, we ran out of communion elements here, and the brothers and sisters that were standing there, and I said, thank you for being patient. They just kind of gave it the, yeah, sure. Why? It wasn't like, oh, I cannot believe you didn't have enough communion. I'm going to call you on Monday. <laughs> By the way, I was notified we're actually totally out at this point. So, um, and Kim knows it. She'll be ordering it. But I was just so thankful. There was just this humility for those standing in line going, okay, we'll wait. All right. I'm so thankful for brothers and sisters who are filled with humility in their hearts. James 4, 6, I preached to you before. But God gives more grace. Again, that measurement, more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Again, opposes there means resists. Yes, the Lord can resist us a little bit. As, as I said before, have you ever felt like you hit struggles in your relationship with God? God? Don't ever look at God and say, God, you're kind of messing up here. I was really seeking you out, and now I'm running into something. God might say, oh, you want a humility lesson? This will be really fun. And then you go, oh, yeah, no, I, that's not what I signed up for. It's just like, you know, the nine fruit of the Spirit. I've never met anyone who said, yes, I was praying before the Lord, and I said, Lord, I need more patience, right? Because God goes, yes, I will teach you more patience. You know, it, just watch it for that one. So what does it look like if God is giving us more grace, great grace, mega grace? What did Barnabas see? We move with power. People are being healed. The gifts are functioning. They go into full tilt. Learning increases. Greater learning curves. You start going, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm learning more than I ever have before. People are getting saved. Carlos Anacondia, the great evangelist out of Argentina who was a businessman that God called into ministry when he spoke at Fuller one time, said, you want to know the heart of God? It beats souls, souls, souls. I mean, it was just fantastic hearing him preach. So people are getting saved and we are growing in the faith. My brothers and sisters, here's my request to you. Ask God to pour out mega grace on this church. Ask him to put out mega grace on us. Yes, Lord God. And you want to know what? You can't earn it. You can ask for it. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you have never once stopped honoring your covenant with us, the covenant you established with us, the covenant you established with me. Even when I'm a total bonehead, you keep maintaining the covenant with me. I can be spiritually thick, and you hold on to me. And Lord God, you hold on to us. Lord God, you've been holding on to this church. We ask now, Lord God, pour out not only grace, mega grace on this church, Lord God, not because we deserve it, not because we've asked enough, but because we ask, God, will you move? You know my heart, Lord God. You know I want to see people just getting radically healed and radically saved. Will you do that here, Lord God? Will you use us in spite of ourselves, Lord? It's you. It's you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the one who does it. It all points to you. And I hope one day, Lord God, 
Not out of pride, Lord. I don't, I, no, no pride. Lord God, just that people will be able to come and see grace in the house. And say, oh my goodness, I went and I saw grace. I literally saw grace like a mist in the house. Lord God, will you do this? Whatever you have to do with us, Lord God, we humble ourselves before you. We are yours. We belong to you. Your banner over us is love. You are the bridegroom. We are, we are for you. Now, Lord God, will you do this? Will you pour out mega grace? I don't know your timing, Lord. And maybe you'll speak to that. Maybe that's part of what Jonathan, you were saying to Jonathan, is you want us to just totally listen. When will you do it, Lord God? When will you speak your vision to the elders? They keep waiting. They listen to you, Lord God. When will you speak it? Lord, you can keep us in a holding pattern. We'll just wait for you. It is a good thing to wait for you. Now, Lord God, we ask, do this. Pour out make us grace upon us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Will you stand as we sing to the Lord and close this worship?